Welcome, movie fans. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 82 of Reading Between the Reels. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Post on X or Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Justin Eldon. Corey Hatchmitt's out tonight, but should be back next time. How's it going, Justin? So good. Excellent. Uh, and today on the show, we're also we're thrilled to be joined by Thomas Riddle educator and founder of Imaginary Education and co-founder of Star Wars in the Classroom and Adventures in Learning with Indiana Jones. Welcome to the show, Thomas. I appreciate it, Craig. Justin, it's a real honor to be with you guys. Yeah, we were we were talking a little bit off mic that you've actually been on the show. Uh, our listeners will probably be familiar with you from uh, our RBR in class segments when you talk to my students over, over Zoom. And this is the first time we've had it in the show proper and way overdue. Uh, but yeah, we're so well, glad I- you're here. I appreciate it. And I always have a, a blast talking with your kids. They're, uh, they're always well-prepared, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So tonight, we are talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981. And I thought Thomas would be the perfect guest for this. And, and so, Thomas, I'm going to ask you to start us off with, what are your overall thoughts on Raiders of the Lost Ark? Man, that's one of my, it's definitely one of my top 10 movies, probably one of my top seven um it's it's a fantastic film and it i saw it like star wars when I, I was eight years old when star wars came out so let's see i was 12 when when raiders came out so i saw it at this great time of um when i was just all into adventure adventure stories and swashbuckling heroes and raiders kind of fit that bill for everything uh it was great to see a classic hero um, that, in that style of the old RKO serials being reintroduced to a new generation. Uh, I'd watch some of the old Flash Gordon serials when I was a kid, uh, when you know my, my dad introduced those to me. And uh, I was a little familiar with, it, with the genre, but absolutely loved it. And it's, it's I mean, what can you say? I, we'll, we'll, we'll spend a, a lot of time tonight talking about it, but it's a, it's a fantastic film. And, um, hopefully all your, your listeners have, have seen it. Thanks. Justin, what about you? What are your thoughts on, on Raiders? Um, I, I just don't think there's going to be any negativity here tonight. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm going to agree with Thomas, like probably top 10. Uh, I don't know if I've actually like put that together in a while, but I would guess top 10 movies of all time. Like it's about as close to a perfect film as you can get. And it, it completely withstands the test of time. Like even though it's, Oh, what is it? 40 some odd years old at this point. Like it still, it holds up the effects for the most part, hold up even well that, that, and that end part with the face melting, maybe not so much, but um, it, it's, <laughs> it's great nonetheless. Uh, but just, just overall, like oh, just a wonderful film. And like the amount of nostalgia I have attached to this movie, my parents like growing up were super strict on what movies we could watch. And for whatever reason, this like flew under their radar. It was it was it was like way too violent for what they should have allowed, but they like let us watch it and it was on repeat all the time. And uh as as a kid I I stole well, I borrowed and then never returned the box set from a friend of mine that that had all three of the Indiana Jones movies and uh to this day I, I still claim that never happened. So Corey, <laughs> if you're listening, that's it didn't happen. I lied. That's a lie. I'm just, uh, anyway, I'm just curious. Do you still have it? I, I I don't I don't think so. I mean, I never had it. I never, never had it. I <laughs> would never steal that. I tried. That. I tried, Corey. I tried. <laughs> no, I I watched it all the time, and it was just it was fantastic. Like Indiana Jones is is like in my brain the quintessential action hero. Like he right. just he fits all the bills, and in in large part, um, I think somewhere deep in my psyche, he might be a reason why. I became a history teacher. Like I wanted to be Indiana Jones so badly. Uh, and it's actually really nothing like that um, at all, but yeah, fantastic film. Yeah. I, I would echo much, much of what you guys have already said. It's, it's in my probably top five favorite films of all time. As you said, Justin, it is nearly a, a perfect a film as you could get. Uh, this time I noticed just a, how incredibly well paced it is. Like it's under two hours which is remarkable how much happens in it. And it just feels like at the end, especially just gets there faster every time, but not in a bad way. It's like, 
oh my gosh, we're here already. And because it just it never lets you go. I, I just love how efficient this movie is, how lean it is. And uh, as you know, for the, for the podcast, trying to pull out specific cinematic aspects, there's too much to get all of it. It's so well done that it was like, all right, I just have to just get whatever I can get and just let the rest go and just, you know, enjoy it as much as I can because there's so much great from this film. Uh, the one thing I did want to bring up that's a little bit new uh, is that I'd heard of the movie 1941 over the years, but I'd never seen it until recently. And I only did that because I was looking through when I was researching, I noticed that several of the studios actually had passed on this movie uh, before, uh, before Paramount grabbed it because of 1941. And it's amazing now we look at, you know, Spielberg has been kind of venerated as this, one of the greatest, if not the greatest director of all time. But there was a moment where it was, maybe he's, you know, a two-hit wonder. And we don't know, if we don't, we don't necessarily trust that he's going to be able to put another thing together. And then, you know, it's in that context that Raiders is released. And even from that becomes this, yes, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. And so I think it's important also to note that context. And it, was, it had a lot kind of going against it from the beginning, but uh, it definitely rose above all that. Yeah, if, you, if, you, um, if you're going to have a rolling Ferris wheel, you've got to have a rolling boulder, right? So, I mean, there's, there's got to be um, something that's going to... Uh, 1941 still had, had its influence there. But yeah, I saw that when I was a kid, and it was... I haven't seen seen it since. Not good. Not right, good. No, no, it's not. That's not. I mean, it's it's got Spiel, it's Spielberg. Obviously, it's got John Williams. It's got you know John Candy's in John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. There's a lot of pieces in it. And you're like, this should work. And it, Christopher Lee's in it. it. It just it just doesn't work. But it, it, it has all the ingredients. It's just yeah. And which, like Big Trouble Little China, Craig. Oh, and except for that's a great film. But it's like oh, okay. in every way that 1941 didn't, and that's a period piece too. As is, you know, Raiders. So it's kind of interesting. Everything that didn't work for 1941 worked for for Raiders. So uh, let's go ahead, though. Let's jump into some of the things that do work: cinematography, things, composition, color, cam work. I'm just going to throw it out there. You guys, just whatever you notice that you want to bring up, um, any of those things, and then I'll just jump in. Um, I think kind of like like you said, Craig. Like it was. Like the pacing in this movie was incredibly well done. Like you, I never felt like there was there was a lull uh, from the very start where you're being introduced to all the characters. Like they do such a fantastic job introducing these characters, and a lot of that is done through the composition and the camera work. Uh, just that opening scene with Indy there in the jungle, uh, you get a couple of close ups like on his face. You get a couple of like wide shots and like camera pullbacks to kind of show the scenery of the jungle. And a couple of um, uh, oh, I'm losing the word here. Tracking shots, like where the, mm -hmm. where the camera is moving, just like like through the jungle effortlessly. And I had such I had such a hard time. Like I had to go back. I, I made it about halfway through this movie, like kind of watching it with this podcast in mind. And then I realized I, I wasn't watching it with like this podcast in mind. I was just watching it for enjoyment. And then I was like, oh, no, no, I got to I got to go back and like actually try and dissect this. And it's such a hard movie to dissect because I've seen it so many times as just like pure enjoyment that my brain almost didn't want to dissect it and realize that there is a camera there filming all of this. And it almost like took me out of the fun uh, because it's just because it's done so well. Like I didn't I didn't want to pull it apart. It kind of made me sad to do so. Um, but everything just seems so seamless. Everything just like flows together so well at no point. Was there anything like so visually overwhelming that like it, it was, it was distracting in a way that it shouldn't have been. For example, like anytime the arc was on the screen, like obviously that was the center of attention visually. Uh, but I didn't feel like there was anything in there unnecessarily, uh, like, like I said, drawing, drawing your attention away, like whatever was the focus the filmmakers did a fantastic job of like making sure the audience was looking at that whether it was uh you know harrison ford or i, I forget who plays belloc what is what is his name paul Renee. freeman right? yeah, paul freeman yeah. yeah 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 paul freeman like yeah whether it's harrison ford or paul freeman like they were just so charismatic on the screen and like the filmmakers knew that and 
the just the camera work in general knew that as well. Like you got a lot of close up shots of those two guys because they they kind of stole the scene there. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing that the use of um, the close up is is fantastic throughout the film. The first time you see Indy's face when he turned when Harrison Harrison turns around, it's a great reveal. Um, just right up close on his face, and I'm you know I'm thinking even uh, when Sapito is looking, you know he's he's and he's about to swap the idol, and there's this close up on on Molina's face. Again, there's this there's I think the camera angles used here we are trying to dissect a master, right? But <laughs> um, but it's it's used to great effect um, when you're trying to build that tension. And that's often seen through those close-up shots. But then at the same time, you have these sweeping panoramic views of like when Indy um, steals the horse and takes off through the camp. And you know, there's this large sweeping pan shot just to give, give you great scope of, of the desert and, and um, the size of that camp and the, and the dig site itself. So there's that back and forth between those wide sweeping shots and then the, and the use of the close-up that's that's really flawless. Um, I'm with you, Justin. It's kind of hard to, to pick this film apart because there's just so much good goodness to it. Yeah, that that is definitely a, a, our task for tonight, and that's a little it's a little <laughs> difficult because you just want to sit back and watch. Um, but it's really inter- it's visually arresting. It's really interesting, and some certain things that I, I pulled out this time. Uh, just I want to echo too, Justin. What you said some of the composition is just absolutely gorgeous the way like the the idol is is framed in the middle the first time he walks in that in that room and the same thing with the arc it's just perfectly balanced on both sides uh but this time i wanted to talk about uh indy's shadow when he comes back into marion's life like you see that before you see the reveal of of harrison ford there and it's like he's looming so large over her past like that's the only way i think you can read that um and then there's also a similar thing. Uh, the I love the conversation in the bar between Belloc and Indy, uh, where, where he brings him in, and and it's a really interesting shot because you have Indy on the left is just enormous. He's in the foreground, and Belloc's in the background, really, really small. And Indy's just staring off to the right, through the whole conversation, not even looking at him. And that's it; just lingers there for such a long time until the very end of the conversation. And just like the the choices are. Obviously, they're intentional, but they're kind of unique in a lot of these ways. And so, you like, what are what are we trying to get from this? And it's like, I mean, I look at this, and and obviously, uh, Ford's the protagonist, right? And and Belloc is this guy. They're trying to show them. He's trying to basically in that whole conversation is trying to say, you know, we're equals. We're you know, two sides of the same coin. But the camera is showing us that that's very much not the case. And I just love those little those little quirks of, of things like that. Yeah, I th- I think what you pointed out about the shadow is a fantastic, um, fantastic point because I always thought the same thing, Craig, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the shadow of the past where he's walking, you know, this, it's this looming specter of, of, of Indy and Marion's life. So I, I really like how that is. And it's huge. It's large on that, on that, on the wall. So it's really overpowering her, but, um, yeah, I, I think the, I've never thought about that shot with 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 Belloc, where Indy's framed closer in the or in more in the foreground, and it's it is that's that's um it definitely sends the message of who is the who is the larger figure, who's the protagonist. Yeah, in, in both of those sequences too, uh, I, I love how they kind of sprinkle this throughout. Like you get the sense that these characters have a past with one another. And there's a lot of history between them, both professional and not so professional, uh, that it, it touches on. And it kind of like, it, it wants, like, you want to you wanna know more about, okay, what, is, what has happened before we met these characters? Um, but it's, it's not so distracting from the here and now, what's, what's going on in the film. I like that they're able to sprinkle that there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kasdan's a master at that. Where you like, there's a hinted past, but and you want to know more, but you don't have to necessarily mm-hmm. for, to make the story work. Uh, anything else in cinematography that we need to talk about before we move down to sound? Yeah, one thing I really like is the scene where um, where they're looking at the headpiece 
with um, with the old Egyptian man, with the imam. And in the background, that, that was beautifully framed as well. You've got Indian Salah and the imam, but in the background, you start noticing the clouds rolling in. And there's this, it's this foreshadowing of, of the looming danger that's to come. And of course, they're also, you know, he's, uh, they're discussing the power of God. You know, they're t- discussing uh, uncovering the sacred relic. And so it's, it's really, I love it because you see the same kind of storm clouds roll in um, when they're taking the lid off of the well of the souls and the storm starting to come. So it's, it's a really, um, uh, I love that clip with, with the imam. Nice. Uh, I just, uh, there's probably not a perfect place to put this, but the editing in this film too is just genius. And it's one of many Oscars this film won. I think won five Oscars and we'll get to it. Won, it, won an Oscar for editing. And then as we move into sound, it won, uh, it won, we're scrolling down here real fast, uh, Oscars for best sound and best sound editing uh, for this film. So as we, as we talk about that, what kind of uh, effects or music uh, stood out to you during this, during this view? Well, it definitely introduces to the indie punch. You know, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's that that's become an iconic sound with indies indies um, punching someone. But the yeah, the sound sound editing is is fantastic. The whip, I mean, everything's just so crisp. But to me, the big takeaway from that one, besides the crack of the whip, is is the sound of him punching people. Yeah. It, okay. It's overly exaggerated. Is that what that? I don't know if I've ever picked up on that. Maybe I've oh, really? it many times. It's it's a definite it's a definite sound that when it's um it's a unique sound that you hear throughout the mm-hmm. all the Indiana Jones movies. It's it's the sound of his punch. So huh. I mean, you can hear. Is it only him punching, or is it anyone punching? I'm trying to remember if it's is is exaggerated. When you, um, when he's getting hit, because he takes his share of, of shots for sure. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of that scene underneath, like the with the mechanic. The, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking of all those noises. Those, there, those, are, those are some punches. But, but I remember in Dial of Destiny when uh, Andy walks up. He's trying to, you know, um, blend in. He's in, you know, he's dressed as a German soldier, and he comes up, knock, you know, up to the window, and he knocks, he punches the driver out for the car so he can get in and, and drive the officers. And when he does so, he throws that punch. I remember sitting in the theater thinking, there it is. This is the last <laughs> time we're going to hear, right. you know, hear some of these things uh, related to specifically to Andy, or at least what I, I grew up thinking about. But yeah, I remember that is that same sound effect um, that you always have. And of course the vil- uh, the the, the villain scream, you know. So yeah. you've got the <laughs> always, always. Yeah. You know? I remember well, along as the a same kid lines before as the- I was, before I no, knew what ahead. that was as a kid and like watching that and and hearing that scream, I was like, "What? Why is there the same scream in all these movies? What's <laughs> yes. going on?" And then as an adult, I was like, "Oh, it's like it's like a thing." Okay, got yeah. it, got it. Easter egg. Uh, I was going to say along the lines of of the punch being super loud, the gun too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. a, it's a Winchester rifle, the stand in for the pistol, which is I mean, it's way too loud, but it's just it's awesome. And yes, yeah. I think that's that's just his gun that that's so loud. Maybe it's highly customized, <laughs> like in Indy has customized it to certainly extra powerful. Uh, some other fun things with this one too. The the arc lid opening is is the the back of a toilet being lifted off. That's fun. Uh, God bless Ben Burt, man. The things he comes Burt, up with. It's crazy. Uh, I also found that the the snake slithering in like the well of the souls is him running his hands through cheese casserole. So, I mean, uh. it's great. Because I don't, I can't, even though I know that, I'm watching that and it's still, no, those are snakes. That's what snakes sound like. Right. So if I was ever in that situation, I'd be sorely disappointed that they don't sound like that. Why does the God floor forbid. move? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, the music is John Williams, which is amazing. There's so many light motifs in this one. The Raiders March is instantly iconic, I think. And it's it's super versatile, too. We hear it in different keys and in different tempos. And I just, I just love that that so much. What about, what about you, Thomas? What do you like for the music? I love the fact that 
um, Williams had two themes and yes, and he couldn't choose between playing them both for Spielberg and Spielberg said, why can't you use them both? And that's why we have the dun to dun 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 And then you have dun to da which is the separate theme that uh, Williams had composed and put them both to get both, both together in there. I mean, it's just, it would sound weird otherwise, you know, but um, Williams once again has, he was on quite a roll through this, through this, um, through this time period in his filmmaking and Raiders just was another knockout of the park. Um, like you said, the light motifs are, are fantastic. Marion's theme to mm-hmm. this day is, is one of my favorite compositions of his. Um, it's, you know, what, 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 again, you were trying to, there, there's so much, I mean, there's everything about that score. I listen to it all the time. Um, and along with his others, but for Raiders particularly, it's the first time we heard that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's so catchy. It's one of those things that, that you, you can leave the theater with it in your head. And that's, that's the sound of a, or the sign of a good, uh, a good score. Yeah. And I remember, um, David Collins, I'm pretty sure it was on the soundtrack show when he covered he he had some great stuff about about uh, about Raiders and the fact that Marion's theme one is structurally very similar to Leia's theme, which makes a lot of sense. They have a lot mm-hmm. in common, sure. But it's also it's interesting that it's we think of uh, if it's called Marion's theme, we think of oh every time she's on screen, that would be kind of her theme music. But really what it is is it's more Indy's perception of Marion's theme. It's really what right. he's thinking of her is when we hear that. Um, which after I heard him, him describe it that way, it's like, yeah, I, I watch the movie that way every time now. I can't not hear that. Right. Right. It's yeah. got to be through his eyes that, that that happens. Yeah, because he's seen that. That's a great, a great point. And I'd never heard David talk about that or that's, that's terrific because I was just reading something uh, this afternoon where Karen Allen was, was um, talking about that. There were times when the when Spielberg and and the writers were wanting to um, were wanting to play Marion as more of a damsel in distress in some scenes, and she said, "This is not who she is," mm-hmm. and said, "This is that was not her character." And so, thinking of what you just said about the theme, it's such a very romantic theme. It's seen through Indies. I don't think she would see herself that way. Mm-mm, agreed <laughs> at, at all, but but you, it really um, gives you insight into what he's thinking really about her, despite the fact he tries to hide it behind that gruff exterior that he's he's still head over heels for. Yeah, and I always think of that in terms of of the scene where he's drinking after he thinks that she's died. And it's that really kind of slow melancholy version mm-hmm. of her theme. And it's yep. like, she's not even on screen. You know, it's clearly him thinking about that. That, that right. seemed to be the most obvious statement of that. That was like, yes, this is his, his ideas of that. Yeah. And I'll tell you another, one of my favorite tracks from that soundtrack is the desert chase. I mean, it's just become iconic that, that entire long, um, that long piece of the, the you know, chasing the convoy. And it's um, it's such a great use of of um, of Indy's theme or the Raiders the Raiders theme through that, but also um, the uh, it, it just fits that fits the um, fits the scene perfectly fits the action perfectly. Uh, whenever I listen to that that piece of music, I can see every scene in my or every frame in my head. Um, because it just pairs with the action so well. And and speaking of that, uh, this time I had to I had to find out what it was. I had to research the the basket game is the name of it of the oh, song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of frenzied and almost comical. It's almost Mickey Mousing through certain things, mm-hmm. um, which is great because it's like you would think with different music you think she's actually really in danger, but it's it's kind of played very light. And this movie's pretty heavy in a lot of moments, but it's also got great moments of levity like that. And then you also, of course, you have like when she hits the guy with the frying pan, like that's a very exaggerated kind of cartoon-esque uh, sound effect. But I was going to say a yeah, sound effect too, <laughs> as yeah. long as along with so that. So good. 
And then even when she's, you know, you hear her, Andy. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just everything's exaggerated until you come to the yeah. Until the um the Cairo Swordsman. Yep. And and then you contrast that with like the arc theme, which we haven't talked about either, which is just so haunting. Like mm-hmm. I don't even like I don't even want to talk about it. It's just it's so good. I don't I don't even know how to describe it, but it's yeah. It's just wonderful. Um Something else that, again, I got to give credit where credit's to. David Collins um, pointed out the, the pizzicato. It's called pizzicato. It's little plucking mm-hmm. of the strings when the tarantulas uh, mm-hmm. are on. <laughs> the two guys, Sapito uh, uh, and, and, and Indy in the, that first Peruvian temple. It's just it's so creepy and it works so beautifully. I, I love that. What a great use of music instead of, instead of sound effect for that. It's right. interesting. It stands in for that. Uh, and then one last thing I had for that was that uh, you have this, uh, what I think is just a great transition from the main title. The first time we get to hear the main title fully stated, and then he's traveling back. And then it ends with bells as we see the school, which is just instinctively makes us think it's, this class is about to start. And just, exactly. wow, just genius. So yeah, good. He's a master storyteller with, with music, for sure. I mean, Spielberg and Lucas's films wouldn't be what they are without without john williams i mean there's there's um, some terrific composers out there who were active at the time of course but wouldn't none of them you know we just i, I can't imagine those those stories without williams being, being accompanied by williams music yeah and growing up in the 80s like how spoiled i mean to have that in star wars and superman and et yeah, I've often I've often said that he wrote the soundtrack to my childhood. Yeah, know? no doubt. Um, it's everything I listened to, the albums I wanted as a kid. I I wasn't getting um, very many rock albums or anything, you know, pop culture or pop music albums or anything. I was I was getting soundtracks. I was getting scores, mainly Williams. So speaking of music, that's not John Williams. What did you think? This is kind of just a random question, Thomas. But the Sala singing from the HMS Pinafore. What did you yep. think of those songs? How does that? Did that make sense? Did that work for you? Did that? Did that feel odd? Because you were much older than I was. At, no, sorry about that. <laughs> that doesn't really mean you were a little bit. You were a little bit. A little older than I was as, yeah, a, as I, an I, almost teenager. First time you heard that. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't have picked up on what that was from. Although when he starts talking about a British tar, you know, and the, and then, um, it it wasn't. I guess um, on subsequent viewings through my teenage years, once I really started studying history more and understanding the the role of British colonialism in the Middle East, and uh, it made more sense to me that he's singing this this. Um, song which is related though to you know british imperialism uh but it was at right. the time no i had no i had no um no clue i just thought it was a cool little shanty that was all no yeah thanks for that i mean that does give some context because that just always struck me as kind of odd but giving that historical context I'm, yeah I'm on, I'm on board with that now that makes sense um i also wanted to point out another I guess kind of vocal sound is like the arc spirits and the way they came up with those. It's I, I read it was sea lions and dolphins filtered through a vocoder. Yes. I I've kind heard, of hear that. Right. I'd heard that before and I still going back. I can't, I can't hear it even though I've no, read that before. I still just can't, I can't, can't get that. But, um, but yeah, the, um, the sound Ben Burt just outdid himself on this film. He does with everything. But for this one, I think particularly, um, there's so many iconic sounds that that came out of this, and of course, accompanied with John Williams' music, it was just it's um it's wonderful for the ears. Nice. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and move down to performance, and I would say that really there's moments where we could have veered into melodrama, but I I think it all stayed pretty pretty steady, even in some fantastical things, and so um dialogue this amazing dialogue in this and so usually in this section thomas will ask for like do you have one or two favorite phrases or conversations or examples of dialogue from this film hmm. 
Um, I know. I'll put you on the spot a little bit. No, no, no. Actually, one of my one of my favorite lines from that film is is delivered the way Karen Allen delivers the line when Indy first comes to the Raven and Indiana Jones. I always knew that someday you'd come one walking back through my door. And when I don't know what why that always stuck with me, but I thought that was. Um, even as a kid, I wanted to know, well, what's this whole story all about? You know, what's what's going on here? But I've just always liked that. Um, I think the whole scene, there's not much dialogue. There's some. But, um, you know, where does it hurt? I thought that was wonderfully played. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I, I love that. Um, but I think two of my... Two of my favorite words, just two words together from the entire film um, that I've often used in different situations is um, top men. Top oh, men. yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, who? Who do you have working on it? Top men. Yes. So um, I, I like those. But, you know, there's um, – and then the other one is just I'm making it up as I go along. Yep. I mean, you, you can't that, – that really – is um kind of summarizes the character of Indiana Jones. I don't know. I'm making it up as I go along. Mm -hmm. um, so it's th those are those are great um, for things that just come off the top of my head. But what what about for you? Um, well, I mean, I started just kind of chronologically uh, at the beginning in the in the temple. Uh, Satipo says, "Let us hurry. There's nothing to fear here." He says, "That's what scares uh, me." Yeah. Uh, but I do, I love that conversation. I mentioned it earlier, the conversation in the bar with Belloc and it's long and almost all of it is amazing. Um, but just a couple examples from there. He said, Belloc says at one point, where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? And Indy says, mm. try the local sewer. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, but I think my favorite part is, is the end though. When he, when he says, when Belloc says, Jones, do you realize what the arc is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God, and it's within my reach. And he says, this is when he finally turns to him. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better to do. Yep. It's like, oh, that's, that's the thing that finally gets him to, to interact. It's, he's just been, yeah, tuning him out. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's great. You know, and the other thing that I like there, uh, the, the bit of dialogue, is when he's talking about, you know, the watch. You know, and and if we just bury this oh, yeah. in a in a thousand years, it'll be priceless. Um, but there's um, and, and and also that whole that whole scene is just great when he's talking about. You mentioned this earlier, Craig. Where there's um, he, he talked. He's telling Andy, there's there's really not much difference between you and I. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think there's just there's um, and those two actors play that so so well together as well. Yeah. My, I still think that what's become one of my favorite lines and my kids will be disappointed if I don't bring it up is when they open up the well of the souls oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> solace says, Indy, why does the floor move? It's like, give me your torch. And then he has the, the, we get the great snakes. snakes. Why does it have oh, to be yeah, snakes? Which snakes. used to be the part that got me. But really what gets me now is Sala's reply. Asks, yeah. very dangerous. You go you first. You go first. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, just, there's just the right amount of humor throughout yeah. that that entire thing, you know. Yeah, ass so, very deadly. You yeah. go first. Um, which I was struck this time when when he leaves. Uh, actually, well, after they get the the ark out of the box and they're, they're pulling it up, that Indy is the Indy lets Sala go first, mm -hmm. which I thought was fascinating because this is this is hor this is torturous for him to be down there, right? But it, it, I think that also spoke volumes about who Indy is at that moment. Right. So. What is it that Bellick says? Um, once again, what is it? What's he say? Um, oh, how's it go? Uh, what once was again, briefly yours? Was it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> brief, yeah, it's now mine. Yep. Nice. Oh, so good. Uh, yep, I had that. I'm making this up as I go. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, what else did you have get have down? 
Um, well, I just said, which again, the older I get, the more this is awesome. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. mileage. Oh, what? how could I not forget that? I use that one all the time. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, that one's that one's great. That's uh, I definitely can relate to that one for sure. At this stage of life. Yeah. Uh, well, we talked, we also, uh, we lost, also like to talk about body language and facial expressions as part of performance. And you mentioned um, uh, Satipo's face mm-hmm. and his hand movements, which I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Harrison speaks volumes with his eyes. He, as an actor, I think he does that incredibly well. And he, um, he does it throughout this film as well. I mean, the, like again, going back to the first time we see him, he's got this steely eyed glare on his face when he turns around, right? It's just this focused determination. Um, and then even when you see him with Sala and Marion at Sala's house or in the, mm-hmm. on the, up on the roof, the laughter, you know, that subtle laughter. It's the first time you really kind of see him let his guard down. Um, and, even, and even when he sees Marion, when he discovers Marion is still alive, you know, these he, he has such a range of expressions that I think as an actor, he does incredibly well. And it really brings depth to the character of Indiana Jones. Um, but those are, you know, those are things that the look of confusion that he, <laughs> that, that confused look that he'll, he'll yes. often give, you know, he does it as Han Solo too, like in Empire Strikes Back, who me, you know, I mean, it's that right. he, you see that, you see that with Indy several times. And, um, even the pratfall when he gets punched in the face by the mechanic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, the, and it falls the, backwards. That, yeah, and falls backwards. I mean that, yeah. that that look on his face again. It's those little subtle nuances that Ford plays so well that makes you. I think it makes him makes the character so much more human, mm-hmm. you know, so much more identifiable. Um, so he does. Yeah, but I love I love the acting that he does with his eyes throughout. I mean most of his films. Yeah. Just to kind of add on onto that. I had, I had a couple of those that I wrote down um, that were slightly different. Like when he had that, the love you eyelids, the look on oh. his face, he's completely baffled at what's yep. happening. And he stutters over his, it's just, I love that. He's, he's almost two characters in this film. You know, the teacher indie and archeologist indie are very different. And there's different sides of his personality, different right. contexts and things mm-hmm. like and we all have, you know, we all act differently in different circumstances roles, or whatever. Right. Sure. But it's it's interesting that we do get to see these other sides of his personality where he's not in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also had the part where we see the top of the wall of souls being opened. That he almost looks almost like a crazed look. His eyes are super wide. It's like he's reached this goal, and it's he almost looks crazy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right. almost like he's possessed. Um, I also had things about the the truck chase, man. That's I. I just wrote, this is still my favorite action sequence of all time. Yeah. It's, 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 it's flawless. And the only thing that I wrote that I'm kind of sorry for is that with the advent of CGI is that at this point, when I show this to people who have not seen it, nothing is CGI guys. You got to understand. Right. I would show this to my students in film class. I'm like, these are stuntmen doing this. Yep. Exactly. It's so good. Yeah, and I love the inspiration for it too. Is that um, that chase that is from Zorro? Um, yeah. Were you were you aware of that one? There's, I did not uh, know that. Yeah, there's actually a um, there was a lobby card that was at ILM, if I'm not mistaken. That's where it was. Um, but there's an image. I can I can share it with you, Craig. It's it's pretty cool, but it's it's almost the same same thing. Zorro nice. is jumping up on a truck from about the same time period uh, off of his horse. And so that was the inspiration for, for Indy riding the horse into that, into that chase. Um, That's so good. Yeah. But the, the, uh, again, to think that there was a real person dragged behind a truck, yeah. including Harrison, um, but dragged under the truck. Um, yeah, there's when I was, when I was a kid and watched the making of, there were some things that I can't unsee now that yeah. once you see, like you can see the groove underneath the, 
you know, between the oh, wheels yeah. of the truck. Where I noticed that this time too. Yeah. yeah where he's, he's dragged back, but, um, but still it's, it's, uh, that, that scene is one of the best. I would agree with you yeah. by, by far. It's one of the best action sequences of film. Uh, something else I wanted to put up. That's not oh, Harrison oh, oh, Ford. Hey, oh, I'm sorry. Go, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. And, and go that chase, it. I just thought about that. When, when, um, when Indy, when, when the, uh, when the the guy falls off the ladder when the, during that chase and Indy's in the cab of the truck with the German soldier and, <laughs> and the guy falls yep. on the, on the windshield, you know what I'm talking about? It has this look. Yes, I do. Yeah. And they're both kind of look shock. And the, and the German guy turns and smiles at Indy and he throws it, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's just, an, again, one of those, this, just the subtle nuances, the facial expressions that are, that are great, but yeah, I digress. Oh no, that that's kind of what we do. Um, <laughs> the uh, Marion's introduction with the the drinking contest oh. and the way that she—I mean, it, there's nothing in English there, so you, like you all have to pick that up with body language and her facial expressions, where she's—you know—it looks like I'm assuming she's acting more drunk than she is because she gets right up really quickly at the at the end. Um, what an amazing example of indirect characterization where you get to know who she is mm-hmm. so quickly. Right. Uh, and then it's also foreshadowing for the Belloc drinking scene later. Like it does so many different things. Right. I, I agree. And that you don't have the, the, the scene with Belloc in the tent without that, that yep. introductory scene. I mean, it just doesn't play the same. Um, I love that. I love that. You know, and it, I didn't know until recently that the guy she's drinking uh, against is um, I, I think it was a, it was a tourist. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, <laughs> really? yeah, he wasn't from uh, Nepal. Um, I think they were, was it Australian or something like that. I can't remember. I, it was like in the, um, gosh, where did I see that? Like in the, um, in the script notes or something. Uh, I don't even know how I, I found that, but yeah, it was, that's the first time I always assumed he was just a local that she was drinking yeah, yeah, yeah. against. But, uh, but again, it doesn't matter. Again, it sets up that it says a lot about her character when you're, um, you've got this big burly guy and she's drinking him under the table and she's this petite little thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, to me again, it's like, tell me more of your story. How did you get to that point? Yep. <laughs> you know, so. she's not the damsel in distress. Like you mentioned. Not at all. Like, yeah. Uh, we've alluded to a little bit, the fact that this is an homage. And so obviously Jones's attire is very much based on past things like like Humphrey Bogart's and the Treasure of Sierra Madre, mm-hmm. Charlton Heston and Secret of the Ink is a couple of things. But he also had the the tweed suit and the glasses. I mentioned it's kind of this other persona. Love that there's that dichotomy between those two things. Uh, yeah. And one of the I, I wanted to mention just Belloc's like his priest outfit at the end. I remember there was an action figure of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, still have my Indiana Jones action figure, the spring loaded hand. Did you collect those, Thomas? You know, I actually that's funny. I actually just um tweeted about that today. I still can't call it X. We all X X excited <laughs> about it. Um, I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. Um that I, I I have a friend who is um who has one of the largest collections of science fiction uh toys and collectibles I've ever seen, a personal collection I've ever seen anywhere. I mean he's been he's been giving it to museums across the country. So I mean I've been helping him curate it to to donate to multiple museums. And he came across um the original line of Kenner Indie toys that he'd forgotten he had and boxed up. I mean it's yeah he, it looks like the warehouse when you go into his collection from the end of the movie. Um nice. and so I was lamenting the fact that I never did collect those as kids, uh, as a kid. Um, I don't know why I was at that age. I was still getting Star Wars stuff. I was kind of getting out of toys though. I was, like I said, I was like right there 12 or 13, but I, I was collecting Star Wars stuff now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, um, but I, I, I had the board game, the Raiders, the lost board, uh, Raiders, Raiders, the lost Ark board game. And, I don't even remember it. The only reason I know is because looking at pictures from Christmas, from Christmas of that year, um, there it was amongst my, my stuff I got for Christmas. And I still don't have a, 
recollection of that, but you were talking about Bellock's um, oh, robes. just yeah, yeah. The fact that I think he thinks he's being authentic, like that's mm-hmm. kind of he's like, I'm going to do this this ceremony. I want to make sure I've checked all the boxes, and it's like what he doesn't realize is that he's only adding to the sacrilege. Right, that's exactly. Going on. It's Completely. so arrogant of him. You know, he speaks in Hebrew and the whole bit, and it's like you didn't make it better, dude. No, you, just you made it much, much worse. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I wondered. Wait a minute! How did you have happen to have those robes on that <laughs> island? You were mm. supposed to do the ceremony for the Führer back in Berlin, right. but you you sent ahead for them, I guess, or maybe you just had it packed ready for something, you know, in case yeah you had to do it wherever you knew what you were going to do. But but yeah, I, I agree with you. I was incredibly arrogant. Just made it uh, so much worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> not that it was going to be any better, but yeah, it was. Um, that was an interesting scene. Yes. Well, I th- I think we've lost Justin. Hopefully, he'll get back. But um, I'm sure he he loved this movie, and he's he's very sorry that he's not on us with it right now. Hopefully, he'll join a little bit later. I hope so. Uh, as we move down to to setting and design, another Oscar this time for best art direction, which is now called best production design. Which, yeah, obviously, um, locations. Um, it was filmed in Tunisia. I love the fact that it's filmed in Tunisia. That's right. such a Lucasfilm thing. Yep. Um, some Why in Hawaii, like the beginnings in Hawaii. Right? Yeah, exactly. You've yeah. scattered it already. And and you know you've got Jawa Canyon right there. You know where yeah. they're where they're marching the ark through is the same canyon where the Jawas. Um, oh my gosh! Why did I not remember that? Yeah. So it's the same location where R two is gets ambushed by the Jawas. Um, oh, that's a nice pull. Yeah. I got to watch this again. Not that I wouldn't <laughs> want to watch it again, but I'm going to watch it now specifically for that. That's right, great. Right, right. Um, lots of matte paintings because it's the 80s, of course, to kind of establish that. I mean, I'm sure that like the arcs, that scene at the end is uh, that's so beautiful to not be a matte painting. Um, real tarantulas and snakes because, again, not CGI. Love all that. I love that they've, that they've taken out the, you could, could see the reflection of the cobra for the longest time and now. I, I still like that. Oh, I think it's, it's great, you know. And it's Harrison, really there though. Yeah, it is, and and you know, you hear Harrison talk about that in interviews. That look on his face was authentic, <laughs> because of course it is. That thing popped up, you know. Yeah. Who wouldn't be, you know? But I, lo- all, I love, I love too yeah. that Spielberg said, "Nope, got to have more snakes." You know, they had to, they had to round up more snakes. Um, they didn't have yeah. enough. And he said it looked fake. It was just it looked. Didn't look good enough. So I think they like emptied all the shops in London <laughs> everywhere around that had snakes to bring them there. Amazing. Uh, I've always loved the map room. I'd like it's, I don't know how they would, that would, that would necessarily work, but I just love it. Visually, I just think that's fantastic. But I, my, my biggest thing with that is like the staff is supposed to be six feet tall, right? Mm-hmm. Five feet tall. No, six feet so, and then take off, take off right. uh, a foot. So, how is it taller than Indy? Like, how short is Indy? Like, that never quite jived. Well, since uh, I've been old enough and for them to pay attention. Yeah. It's like, maybe he's standing that. off to the side. No, it's, it's all right. It looks more imposing that way, I guess. Um, yeah, tiny little nitpicks. But wait, was it, was it, did he say, well, I can't remember. Was it in feet or was it in another measurement? Well, he said it's about 72 inches and then oh, he, he took away, okay. tw- away 12. Okay. Okay. Of the, yeah. Uh, this time I paid special attention to, I want to make sure that I knew exactly where C-3P and R2-D2 are because mm-hmm. they're on that post next to the arc on, they're on Indy's right as they're lifting the stone. So if it's, you're looking at Indiana Jones as they're lifting it up, it's on over like his right shoulder. So for our listeners, just in case you didn't know that was there, it's once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. I actually saw today, Craig, someone's made an action figure of, um, <laughs> it's a Raiders action figure with 3PO inside with it showed the close up the image on the card is um the close up of 3PO engraved on the you know carved on the wall right. but that's the it's it's done just like the Kenner's the yeah. Kenner vintage card but it was 3PO inside that's fantastic um just some other things yeah i wrote down about the staff um, I love the fact that that Tote's coat hanger was originally something that was supposed to be in 1941, and then that didn't work, and that that gag didn't work, and so they reused that. Yeah, 
Uh, and then, yeah, Ralph McQuarrie worked on the, the art decorations. So, yeah, yeah the only yeah, was- the only piece of artwork that he did was the um, illustration in the Bible um, of the Ark of the Covenant. So, you yeah. know, what you see in the, in the Bible at the beginning, that's mm-hmm. Ralph's really major contribution. So looking down at characters, and we've covered just about everybody else. I should mention Ronald Lacey as Tote, who I'd loved. I, that's a figure that I had, and so that character was very important to me. Uh, but I didn't know his name for the longest time. He's he's not in it a ton, but he's great. He's very effective. Oh, he's um, he really is. He's got that Peter Lorre esque you know nature about him. He's like you know, and um, that especially his laugh is so creepy. Oh yeah. Uh, we didn't mention Denim Elliott as Marcus Brody. He's fantastic in this as well. He is, and that's, that's one thing about Brody. To me, his character changes a great deal uh, between um, or from from this film to the next. Because when I I see Brody in this one, he seems very academic, very mm-hmm. you know. Yes. Straight laced, but then you see him in Last Crusade, and he's kind of the the bumbling fool, you know, almost. Um, which uh, at one time I I'm reading somebody's take on that, uh, somebody's explanation, but I can't remember, recall what it is. But it it's kind of a glaring difference between That's the true. two portrayals of of Brody. But I love Brody. Uh, some other things um, I always love the fact that William Hootkins is in this. Uh, he plays um, Major Eaton. Of course, he's Porkins from the original right. Star Wars movie. He's right. Eckhart in Batman 89. Um, one thing that had bugged me for years and I finally figured out is that George Harris, who plays Katanga, he's also was re- more recently played Kingsley Shacklebolt in the Harry Potter movies. And that's like, that's why when I saw Kingsley Shacklebolt, I was like, I know that guy from somewhere, but couldn't place it. Thank you. That, right? that answers that for me too. Yep. Never knew that. Yep. That's crazy. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. Uh, Pat Roach as, you know, the, the oh, big Pat giant Roach. guy at the beginning and as the mechanic guy. So, right. Um, yeah, that was, that was really cool. He got to play two villains, two bad guys in the same film. Yeah. And then shows up in the next one. Exactly. Right. He's the, he's the guard, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. We've talked a little bit about, I'm looking at hero's journey and he's, pretty much fully formed, but the fact that he's fallible and gets hurt is amazing and kind of a new concept for this type of character. I think that's why he's incredibly relatable. I've had that conversation multiple times with people. That's why that character's so good. To me, he's every man. He's, he really is kind of an every man because he gets, he gets the crap kicked out of him and, and keeps on going. You know, he's, it's like, uh, he is fallible. To me, that's also kind of like why I like um, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. He's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, I, I see that's a conversation for another time, but a lot of parallels between the two. Sure. He's out of his depth sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so as we're, looks like we're just about ready to wrap up. Final thoughts, Thomas, on, on Raiders. Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, Justin said something earlier. Yeah, I think he, I think he said it kind of half-jokingly. I couldn't tell about that influencing, influencing him becoming a teacher, history teacher. Um, well, there's, there's two, there's two um, movies that I think probably had a lot to do with me going into that, that field because that's what I am by trade as a history teacher. Um, and that was actually Star Wars. I loved the the old feel to it. My my dad actually probably had a lot to do with it because he raised me on Errol Flynn, swashbucklers, and you know John Wayne. Don't, don't, you know she wore a yellow ribbon, so the western movies and things like that. And so from a young age, uh, I had an interest in in um, you know historical period films, if you will, or stories. But then Raiders, when Raiders came along. Uh, by that time, I'd already had a, a keen interest in World War II as well and World War One, and uh, it just it kind of checked all the boxes for me. And and the piece of archaeology added to that. So, gosh, I guess my 
freshman year in college, my senior in high school, I was thinking about be, becoming an underwater archaeologist. This was something I wanted to I'd kind of more from marine biology and underwater archaeology. But it, I couldn't get away from history. And I think, honestly, um, the, that character of Indiana Jones did have an influence in, um, in me, especially having an interest in things of the past and studying um, ancient relics and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I look at this movie not only as a great film, it's, it's almost like you said, a flawless picture. But the story itself has inf- has influenced so many people. I know countless historians, uh, excuse me, archaeologists I've spoken with over the years, um, who say that you know, hey, it's it's a bad example of archaeology. But yeah, I went into archaeology because of Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we wouldn't have had that without Raiders, you know. So um, it's it's just a fun film. It's a great popcorn flick. Um, it's the way movies used to be made in the summers, you know, that, that left you just feeling great. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was excited to, um, be able to enjoy his last film as much as I did, as, as much as I did, uh, to see this character, you know, kind of close out a story. Uh, and there were so many great callbacks to Raiders in that one, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, um, I think it's just a flawless piece of filmmaking. That's why it's it's gone down as one of the great classics of all time. But yeah, personally, I couldn't, yeah, yeah, I, was just saying, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's like like Justin said earlier. It's like it's it's over forty years old now, and it it could be made yesterday. It's mm-hmm. it's such a good film. I really can't add on too much to what you just said because it was beautiful. Yeah, people people talk about a reboot or anything like that. No, there's, you don't reboot Mm -mm. this, you know, and I'm even torn. I'd love to see more Indiana Jones stories. I think animation is the way to go. I think comics or novels or things like that, especially anime, an animated series, but Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. And I just can't see anyone else playing him. Oh, agreed. So before we get out of here, Thomas, I want to give you an opportunity to let us know what's going on with you with Imaginary Education. You mentioned something that, uh, a little bit off mic before. So tell yeah. us what's going on. Yeah. So um, I have a, a, a consulting business called Imaginary Education, where we um, work with helping uh, particularly teachers um, and create immersive experiences and, and spaces for students to uh, help with, with uh, student engagement and, and, and learning. And the whole, uh, the whole idea came from a TEDx talk I did a number of years ago uh, called Imagine Union Education. And it was built around the premise of what if we design schools like Disney designs theme parks? So what would it look like if we took those same kind of design principles and applied them to our classrooms? And when I started playing with that idea, I realized that the Imagineers were giving language to things I intuitively knew as a teacher worked. And so um, as uh, at that point in time, as an administrator who was working on uh, helping to design a middle school, we began to make uh, intentional use of color and space design and things like that to create these, uh, these, in, uh, these spaces that were designed to, um, to increase student engagement. And, and it, there's, I've seen it work timeless, you know, time and time again over the years. So um, I'm excited. I've been working on a, a course for about a year that kind of distills all this uh, into uh, an, an e-course that's going to be available starting uh, January 15th and um, just went on sale last Friday. So it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's real. It's happening. Uh, it's something I've, I've been um, working on, like I said, for quite a while. It's about four and a half hours of content that you'll get. Um, and if anyone wants to know, um, more about that course, they can um, find me at imaginaryedu.com. Awesome. And we'll have some other links for, for the website and, and uh, for you on, on X as well, so we can reach out if they have other questions. Yeah, that, that, would, be, that would be great. And um, you can also, we're, we're still um, working away at, at promoting teaching with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And this year has been mainly with Indy. And um, there's some, some projects that my partner uh, 
Wes Dodgins. Wes and I have been doing Indy in the classroom and Star Wars in the classroom together for years. We taught together uh, at a high school uh, for many years. And uh, yeah, he's been my partner in crime with all this this fun, uh, these fun adventures. But we've still got some some irons in the fire and some things we hope to be able to talk about in the coming year. So um, yeah, follow us at Andy in the classroom and stars in the classroom and you'll find out more. Sounds great. So as we close, we just want to say thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on X and Facebook, email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend and support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast catcher. One last thing, our next episode will be a review of Mission Impossible with special guest David Jesse. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Mission Impossible, and we'll share it on the next episode. 